place and over all the earth and it's better to be here Lord with you than a thousand days anywhere else how lovely My heart and flesh, my heart and flesh cry out. 
of God's amazing grace that we can even come into his house together. And so we're going to just sing a song about uh, the grace of God and what it does in our lives.
heart is overwhelmed. Coming down, that's Jesus. Your love came down and rescued us. Amen. The Harvest Community Church, can you join me by greeting your neighbors? <laughs> Christmas Child is well underway. Uh, boxes may be dropped off until November 6th, which is in two weeks from now already. Uh, time, time's flying, so uh, I want to keep that in mind. Speaking of Christmas, I know some people have asked me, uh, when are we going to Mexicali or if we're going to go? Uh, I made contact with, I sent an email down to them to try to see if uh, December 17th would be okay for them. Uh, it's a little earlier this year because the next week is the 24th and we don't want to be tough to go on, uh, on uh, Christmas Eve. So uh, December 17th is hopefully my goal, but I'm still waiting for confirmation from them down there. Promise Land teachers are needed for toddlers in December. Uh, so if you feel a calling or are willing to help out, uh, please do so. It, it's a great need and it's a great ministry too. Today, uh, we'll be taking pictures for our 2017 directory, so fix your hair and go out into the front, and you'll get your picture taken. 
Uh, this is important. Coming up next week, or actually this Friday, uh, our, our church business meeting will be on Friday, October 20th, 28th, 6 to 830 at Journey Christian Church. Uh, members and attenders at Harvest will be updated on all that is important at Harvest. New deacons and proposed 2017 budget. And I know in your bulletin you have a picture of two of the coolest families you'll ever meet and two of the coolest nominees you'll ever meet. And so we want to really be able to uh, be there for them to be able to support them in the decision to come and serve at our church. Couldn't be more thrilled uh, for those nominations. The park will meeting uh, this Saturday, October 29th, 7 to 9 at Presbyterian Church. Business as usual there. And please join us for our next prayer circle, Wednesday, November 2nd, 8 to 9 at the Lowe's House. Well, t- this is a special morning indeed. We have so- a couple of special guests with t- us here this morning, Amir and Denise Hodge. And I know that... Uh, uh, several families from our church have gone to Honduras to serve on short-term missions, and Denise and Amir were a part of those short-term missions down there serving. Uh, in, in that case, is is like a medical missions, and they're also serving uh, people in, in desperate need down there. Really cool ministries, and I, and I know that when the families came back, they were just on fire for God and, and just couldn't believe the things they witnessed of, of God's spirit moving. And it was just really cool, and for people like Amir and Denise, they, they felt God's calling to make this more of a permanent calling for them. And so uh, from about a year ago, they went down there more on a permanent basis, and they came right before to our church to share about their missions, and uh, they're on a short break to be able to come back and share with us again. And I, I had the pleasure of uh, being able to pray and to talk with them briefly before service, and you know, these two, they're the real deal, and they're really cool people, and I hope that we can get up and support them and, and hear what God's uh, doing for their lives. So let's welcome Denise and Amir. Good morning. I cannot believe it's been a year since we were standing up here before you, but it has flown by. We have, uh, we completed four months of language school in Guatemala, and we arrived at our ministry, El Ayudante, which in English means the helper. We arrived there March 1st and been there about seven months. Um, Our goal is to serve the community, transform lives, Um, and transform communities for Christ. So before I start sharing a ton of what we're doing, I put together a um, short video that kind of gives you a good idea of what we've been doing for the past seven months since we've been there.
So as you can see, we are very busy down there. <laughs> LI Udante is located at the base of a mountain in a valley, and we're, our best estimate is there's about 15,000 people that we're serving while we're there. And uh, you can see that we're trying to impact their lives for Christ in many different ways because as you all know, you've got to kind of touch the physical needs before you can get to the spiritual needs. If people are hungry, don't have clean water, don't have bathrooms, there's just a lot of need in that community that we're trying to fill. We had a really neat experience in August that kind of, we know we're touching them in different ways, but we actually saw it come all together with one lady that lives up the mountain. We had a team there, and at the end of the week, one of the um, team members was sharing about what a great day she'd had. She had gone up to the top of the mountain with a mirror to our satellite clinic, and um, a lady had come in. Her son carried her in. She had broken her leg two years ago, didn't have the money to have that surgically fixed, so she had not walked in two years. She sat on her front porch every day. If she went anywhere, her son carried her. But she had been into the clinic two days before and seen the other provider. The other provider said, you know what? We got a, um, a walker that was donated. I'm going to send it up the mountain on Friday with our other doctor. He'll give it to you and teach you how to use it. So when Marcy, the team member, was there, she got to see this lady receive her walker and Amir teach her how to use it and change her life. Well, as she's telling this story, another team member says, well, I recognize your description of that lady. We installed a water filter for her earlier this week with another part of the team. So they were able to meet in her house with her, pray with her, share Jesus with her. And a third team member speaks up and says, well, that's the lady that has 25 grandkids in the school that we just did Vacation Bible School for three days this week. So we were able to just touch her life in so many aspects all at one time. And now we have... Um, a reason to keep building a relationship with her because we'll keep interacting with her in the clinic and to check her filter. Um, just a couple statistics of what's gone on this year. Uh, we've installed more than 200 water filters and we have checked on um, 650 more. So that's almost 900 families that we've been in their homes this year to pray with them and keep building that relationship. And we've seen more than 10,000 patients in the clinic already this year. So that's 10,000 people that saw a medical or dental provider and then saw our pastor or a team member who was there to share Christ with them. So we are seeing exciting, exciting things down there, and we are so happy to be a part of it. You know, God's word says, what you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. And that's what we're all about down there. We're all about touching lives, changing lives, sharing Jesus with the nation of Honduras. You know, we would, we would love to have anybody who's interested um, to come down and just put their hands on, in some of this work that God has for all of us in Honduras. In fact, I, I, I was sharing with another group probably about a week ago um, about, you know, Missions is so very important, and I know this church is very missions-minded, but I, I always like to remind people, missions isn't just over in Honduras. Missions is every day when we go to work. Every, every person we run into, our neighbors, our co-workers, our cashiers, we're there to share Christ with this nation. And if ever before this nation needed Christ, it needs him now. Okay, so I invite all of you guys to um, please consider in your heart coming to visit us um, um, and, um, and take part of what Christ has to do, for, uh, has to do in you and through you. Um, we'll be in the back um, after the service, and we would love to share more with you about Christ. Um, and that's all I have to say. Thank you so much for all the things you guys do for us and with us. We are also, we're also going to have lunch uh, with the Hodges, and if you'd like to learn more about their ministry and just spend some time with them, we're going to meet over at the Stonefire Grill at 1215. So um, those who were on teams before, I know they're going to be there, and those of you who would like to just get to know them and, and hear more of their story, uh, please join us over there at 1215. Um, and I was just doing some quick math, and you said you've already... In the seven months you've been there, you've already ministered to 10,000 people. Amir's a, a registered nurse, and he used to work in Temecula, right? He lived in Temecula. 
And they would come up here often when we went with um, Christ Lutheran Church in Costa Mesa. They would come up and for the training, they, that's how we met them. And then the, our teams have all served with them down in Honduras. And so 10,000 in seven months is about 50 a day. And um, so I don't, you know, I know our, we have doctors here. I bet you don't see 50 a day. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know if anybody sees 50 people a day. So how do you do that by God's grace? So let us pray for them that God will continue to help them to do their work. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your love and for your goodness to us as we have already sung about this day. And Lord, as we have seen through the slideshow, as we've heard through the testimony for Denise and for Amir, that you are working there. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in Honduras. We thank you, Lord, that so often when you send your workers into the harvest field of a poor country, the harvest is so rich. And so, Father, we pray that you would continue to protect them, lead them, guide them. We pray that during their final two weeks here in the United States, as they meet with their churches and their supporters and their families, we pray that you would bless this time, make it bountiful, make it fruitful. And, Lord, may you continue to use us in whatever way you want, whether to go down and just spend time with them or to continue to support them financially and especially even in this way, in prayer. We pray, Father, that we would continue to be part of the Hodges team. We thank you for the role that we get to play. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to use them as your missionaries, as your ministers, as your shepherds, as your doctors, as your nurses, as those who love people for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On a Sabbath way of life. And over the last seven weeks, this is the eighth week, this is our final week, we've been learning about what it means to have a Sabbath. Now, for all of us, we probably understand that the Sabbath is one day we take off where we're not supposed to do anything that is of work. But that doesn't mean that we're not doing anything that works. And God is working in our hearts when we take a Sabbath break. Now, for us, our Sabbath, we tend to think of the break as Sunday. The Sabbath is still Saturday, and the Jews, they recognize the Sabbath from sundown Friday until sundown Saturday. But for us, we recognize a Sabbath-like worship on Sunday. And in that time, we learn about what it means to rest. So you don't have to do homework. You, you don't have to work on that day. You get to spend time with family. You get to spend time in a community like this. We get to be together. And when we do that on a Sunday, what we're doing is we're templating our hearts. We're providing our hearts with an example of one day a week that can serve for the way that we live the rest of the week so that we have rest within the cycle of our day. We have rest within the cycle of our week. We have rest within the cycle of a month or of a year. And God renews us through that rhythm. God strengthens us through it. So we've talked about the Sabbath rest that God gives to us when we follow after Jesus. And that Jesus gives us the hope and the peace that God has fulfilled all of his promises in this Messiah, in our Savior. But we need to walk with Jesus. And we need to know what he teaches us. And so we talked about the last two weeks about solitude and about just spending some time alone. But being alone with God doesn't mean that we're lonely. It means that we are with the maker of the universe, with the one who loves us, with the one who knows the answer for the struggles that we have. He's the one who provides for us. And so as we spend time with him, we build this relationship as we spend time alone with him. And today... We conclude this series by thinking about silence. Is it nice or is it a little uncomfortable 
Yeah, Nathan's a little uncomfortable, huh? It's sort of weird. We're not used to it. Kind of wonder, like, well, is he going to talk again? Maybe you're hoping, maybe he won't talk again. I like the silence. We live in a noisy, noisy world. And sometimes we live in such a noisy world, we really can't hear. You ever been like, it's so noisy, I can't even hear myself think? And we get so busy, and we don't have rest within our souls. We don't know what it means to have peace and quiet. I mean, have you ever just thought to yourself, I just need some peace and quiet? We're going to talk about that today. And you're going to experience a little bit more of that today, about nine minutes of it. You'll see in just a few minutes what that's like. There are places in our world where we expect it to be quiet, where we even need it to be quiet, like a library or a hospital or a classroom. Or a church. There are places when we just need to have some peace. And there are times been in my own life where the place I enjoy going is into a, a church building, into a chapel. And to go in there and sometimes to see the beautiful architecture, or sometimes just to know, to see the cross and just spend some time alone is peaceful. It's wonderful. About a year, over a year ago, Carol and I got to go to a very famous chapel, the Sistine Chapel. And it would have been wonderful to go in there. How many of you have been in the Sistine Chapel? Uh, a good number of us here have been in Sistine Chapel. Okay, uh, it's sort of hard to see there uh, because of all the, the lighting here. But it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And it, it's maybe about twice the size of this room. It's not huge. Okay. And there you see all the wonderful art of Michelangelo and other artists throughout the Vatican. And you go into this building and you go into this room and you're going, yes, this is the room where, you know, I'm going to see the famous pictures that I've seen all my life of the finger of God touching Adam, that right in the middle there of the, of the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And before you go in, they have signs like this all over. So the next slide. They have signs like this. It reminds you that the Capella Sistina, or the Sistine Chapel, is a holy place. And then they'll have signs. They have the ones like, no pictures. And the one in the middle is... And they have them all over the place. And I tell you, before you go in, please, it's a holy place. We recognize this as a holy place. Please be quiet. Please don't take pictures. Please recognize it is sacred. And you go in there, and it's really noisy. People don't listen. And so it's very amazing. I mean, I would guess there's 500, 1,000 people in that room, and we're just wall to wall. And just, everybody's like this. But it's noisy in there. And so you go in there, and after a while, and there's priests that are walking around, and they're telling you, but it doesn't work. And so I don't know if it's a priest or, or somebody who works there, but after about five minutes, somebody goes on the loudspeaker and goes, shh, and it gets quiet for a few seconds. And then somebody starts talking, and somebody else starts talking, and then it goes back to this roar again. And then that person will go, shh. There's something about our nature that even in the midst of beauty, even when we're told not to talk, we still got to use our mouths and our tongues. There's just some people who can't stop talking. Don't say who they are. And there's a lot of people who don't know how to listen. 
Well, today, we want to hear what God says about what it means to go into his church. I'm talking about a place like this, yes. I'm talking about if you go into another church building, yes. But I'm also talking about any time you want to spend time alone with God, that that becomes a place of worship for you, just like the Sistine Chapel is supposed to be. And so we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. And these are the words of King Solomon. And he's wise, and he's learned through his life how we ought to approach God and how we ought to approach life. Would you read with me these words? They're on your outline. They're at the top of your outline, or you can open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 5. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 and 2. Let's read them out loud together. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. Now these words tell us that we have to guard our steps. It tells us that we need to go in to listen. It's talking about our attitude. Our attitude in which we go into God as well as our posture in which we go into God's presence. And what God is telling us is that there are two things that are really important for us to understand. That just like if we're going to study, we need outward silence. Okay? Because I know, at least for me, I can't study. Some of my kids can study with music on. I can't. You know, if, if I go to a library, I need quiet to be able to study. So I need outward silence. But the other thing that we also need is inward silence. You know, because sometimes you're trying to study and you read something, you go, what have I read? Because your brain is on something else, right? You have to go back and read it. Because we don't have an inward silence within ourselves. And so we want to have both an outward silence that leads us to what's more important, which is the inward silence, which we cannot often have without making it external in our lives. And so Solomon is telling us that when you have this opportunity to do something with your body, to give your body to God in a time of worship, the first thing you must do is guard how you enter into a sacred place. Probably not many of us thought about it when we walked into this room today and thought, I'm entering into a sacred place. But you are. Where God's people meet is a sacred place. Where we worship God and we seek him is a sacred place. And where we go to worship God, whether it be in our bedroom to do our quiet time or in our backyard to pray or whether we go for a walk to be alone with the Lord, this is a sacred place. And God says, I want you to guard your steps. If you look at your outline, you see the message version of the Bible, how it translates verse 1. And there it says, watch your step when you enter God's house. Watch your step when you enter God's house. Enter to learn. That's far better than mindlessly offering a sacrifice. What he's saying is, it's better to go into the house of God with your ears open and your mouth shut and your heart ready to learn. God doesn't need us to try to impress him with our prayers. He doesn't need us to try to fill him up with, with, with our money. God wants us to know that he loves us just the way we are, and when we come into his presence, he's holy, and he wants to be with us, and he wants us to hear his voice. And so the second thing that Solomon says is listen. Instead of going to offer some kind of crazy sacrifice thinking you can impress God, go in there to listen. That is silence. Robert Mulholland in one of his books, and he's an author, Christian author, he says this, silence is fasting from speaking to listen to God. Silence is fasting from speaking to listen to God. You can listen to God. You can hear his voice. I said that we were going to have some time of practice. We're going to have nine minutes of silence. So there's going to be three three-minute times 
of silence. So I want you to look at your outline, and if you didn't get one, it'll be up on the screen. But there's two verses here that I want you just to read. I'll read them first, and then we're just going to be silent for three minutes. And I just want you to think about these words in silence. What do you hear in these words? Or when you read them, what questions would you ask God as you read these words? So I want to read it, and then you'll have three minutes to think about God and to try to hear his voice. Psalm 62, 1 and 5 says this, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. Psalm 131, verse 2, But I have stilled and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Lord, and quieted my soul. Isn't that what we need? And you know what it says is that this is something we have to do. We have to still and quiet ourselves. And you think of a mom or a dad with a baby and patting the baby, trying to quiet the baby. Well, that's for babies. But as we grow up and as we mature as Christians, as we grow as human beings, that God says that we can still and quiet our soul. God loves us, but we have to quiet our souls to embrace that love. We have to be able to know the presence of God in this quiet by believing the truth of what he says. Well, Solomon goes on, and he wants us to know that silence has a tremendous power in our lives and in our relationship with people and especially with God. And he says in verse 2, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. What Solomon is teaching us is that silence is the pause that will cleanse our words. Have you ever said something and you go, Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or have you said something in anger that you wish you didn't say? Or have you said something and you go, Oh, that was a secret. I just told a secret. Have you said something that you just said, oh, that was so stupid, why did I say that? Have you ever said, oh, why didn't I just keep my mouth shut? Man, it's happened too many times in my life. And God wants us to learn in our relationship with him, if we can do it with him, we'll do it with people, that before we speak, we're silent. Before we even talk to God, we're quiet. Quiet precedes our words, and quiet prepares our words for God. And quiet cleanses our words. Do not be quick with your mouth. God wants us to know that there are words that we can say that are important, But that silence helps us to make sure those words that are so important are said in the right attitude and in the right way that we know that we stand before a holy God. But we must quiet our tongue. Wayne Oates, in a book called Nurturing Silence in a Noisy Heart, says this, Silence is the absence of noise or speech. Silence is something you can do. You can silence your tongue. You can just hush. By being quiet before we speak, by holding the words within our mouth before we let them out, they're refined, they're defined. And we need to have them in such a way that when we finally open up our mouth, what we say is what we know is what we want the other person to hear. The message version, again, translates verse 2, saying, don't shoot off your mouth or speak before you think. Don't be too quick to tell God what you think he wants to hear. The Bible tells us, even before a word is on our lips, 
God knows it already. We don't need to tell God what to do. We don't need to tell God what we're thinking. He knows it already. And he loves to hear our voice. He loves to hear us talk to him. But we need to do it in an unhurried fashion, without hastiness. James Moffat, who's a Bible commentator, says, Never let your heart hurry you into words. Never let your heart hurry you into words. Now, words reveal what's in our heart. That's why it's so important to pause before we speak. Make sure our heart and our words go together when we talk to God. Jesus, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, says this, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of my heart, my mouth speaks. There are times that my mouth reveals evil that's in my heart. And there's other times, much better times, when the words are good. But I have to be honest with myself. We have to be honest with ourselves that we often say things we shouldn't say, both to people and even to God. I hope that you never take the Lord's name in vain. It's a very serious offense. And if you do, it's a place to learn, especially there. You're out to raise it, God's name in vain. Stop. And sometimes, you know, you don't really say it in vain in anger. It's more like a cliche, like, oh, God, you know. Oh. But even that may not be the right way to use God's name. Flippantly, without thought, or, oh, my God. It's just a reflex reaction. But sometimes we learn these words out of habit and they come out so quickly. Oh, Lord, same thing. (sighs) Jesus. Now we hear people take our Lord's name in vain. And we may not do it that way. But sometimes we take his name too loosely. Not serious enough. So let us be careful how we use our Heavenly Father's name. Let us be careful in the way that we speak. Never let our heart hurry us. Whether our heart is hot, whether it's heated, and we want to say something really quick, let us learn. Yeah, bite our tongue. Let us learn to be paused, to be quiet. If we want a little peace and quiet, what we need to do is to make a little peace of quiet. Just a few moments before we speak, and some time alone with God. So we're going to take three minutes now, and you can meditate upon Luke 6.45, and answer, think of these, answer to these questions. What have your words this past week revealed about your heart? Where have you spoken evil? Where have you spoken good? A little peace of quiet. God wants us to learn the discipline of silence so that we can enjoy the fruits of it. Silence is a discipline that opens us to enjoy God's presence and also to receive his perspective in life. The second part of verse 2 in Ecclesiastes 5 says this, God is in heaven, and you are on the earth. So let your words be few. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. The heavens refers to the cosmos. It refers to the open sky. It refers to the greatness of our creator and the greatness and the glory of all that he is and all that he has made. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, The Bible says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I know a lot of you enjoy camping. 
I know a lot of you enjoy the outdoors. And this is our invitation. This is our permission to do that more and more, to spend time alone out in nature and God's creation. I love the night sky. I love going for walks at night. I don't like camping, but I like the effects of what happens to me when I do go camping because I'm in nature and because I get to see what God has made. And when it's really dark, it's so beautiful because then you can see the stars. And God made all of this. And Solomon is telling us God is in heaven and you are on earth. And he's not talking about a distance here. He's talking about the perspective that God would want us to have, our perspective on our own lives, our attitude of our own heart, our willingness to admit our need for God. God is in heaven. We are on earth. God's not far away. Jesus says that he came to bring the kingdom of God here to earth. He says the kingdom of God is among you or within you. And when we have Jesus, the king is within us. And we live in his kingdom. And God wants us to know he's very near to us. Emmanuel, we're getting ready for that as we enter into the season of Advent. That God wants us and he invites us to know that he wants to be with us. And that's why he came And so as we look at these words, it's not about just God being far away in heaven where we can't find him, but rather how great he is in heaven and that he looks down on us and he sees us and he knows us. He knows what's within us. Chuck Swindoll in his book, Living on the Ragged Edge, says this, God penetrates deeply into that which is inaudible to human ears and he peers intently into that which is invisible to human eyes. God knows what's in our heart. God knows the troubles that within our minds. He sees and he peers and he looks and he wants to minister to us. And he wants us to know that when he looks within us, he has the answers. He wants us to learn how to be silent before him and how to enjoy that silence. The silence is not an end in itself. That's why during these three minutes of silence, it's not just silent and clear your mind. Meditation is not about just clearing our mind to leave it empty, but to focus our minds on Jesus, to focus our minds on God, to learn to listen, to know that God sees within our hearts that we don't even need to talk and he knows what we're thinking. Silence is like solitude and Sabbath. They are means to the ends of our relationship with God We just don't have a Sabbath day and and then expect something to happen without being intentional about worshiping God. We don't just have solitude and time alone and then suddenly experience God's presence unless we are intentional and calm our hearts down and think about the Lord and walk with him in those times and let him walk with us. Jeannie Miley, in her book, The Spiritual Art of Creative Silence, says this, the sole objective of Christian meditation is not silence or emptiness, but union and friendship with Christ. The point of meditation is to be filled with more and more of the presence of Christ. To be filled more and more with the presence of God. To experience the presence of the Lord with us. And so God tells us we will experience this as we enter into God's presence in silence and sit before him. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. You have it there in the little box on the left side, the bottom. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Spend three minutes here thinking about this verse thinking about maybe how big are we 
in comparison to the earth. How big are we as people in comparison to the heavens, to God? As you sit silently, consider his greatness and your need for him. I encourage you to spend nine minutes a day this week with some time of silence and to know the presence of God in that silence and to to recognize that though we are so small and God is in heaven, that he loves us and he will be with us in that silence. In Psalm 113, verses 4 through 7, we read these words. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. Just think about that. That God who sits enthroned in heaven. And what does the Bible tell us there? It tells us that God stoops down to look at the heavens. God stoops down to look at the earth. Imagine that this little ball here is the earth. And all of us are on this earth. Now imagine how big we would be if we lived on this ball. And God is infinitely bigger than this illustration. But just imagine what he does is he stoops down and he looks and he sees us. He stoops down and he looks and he wants every one of us to know that if we feel poor, if we feel needy, if we feel like we're in the ash heap, he's looking at us and he cares and he loves us. And this is the God that we find in the silence. And this is the God that we worship. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love and the grace and the goodness of how you help us, Lord, to grow in silence, to grow in our time with you, to hear your voice and to know your pleasure, and to experience your presence. I pray, Father, that we would continue to hunger and thirst for you, because you will fill us. You will feed us. You will quench our thirst. Thank you, Lord, for your promise and your presence. In Jesus we pray. Amen. And for your nine minutes, there's some um, exercises on the back of your outline if you need some encouragement there. You'll find that that you can use in your own quiet time. We're going to continue worshiping the Lord with giving back to God. And so the ushers are going to come forward. And uh, we're going to close with a fairly traditional hymn, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone.
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen Amen. and amen. God bless your day.